Okay. I'm going to start with number one. Number one talks about the mitzvah of Bikurim. The mitzvah of Bikurim is a mitzvah describing a Jewish farmer in Eretz Yisrael who after toiling for his fruits and they finally start growing, he takes the first ones and he goes to the Bet HaMikdash and there's a whole procedure of what he has to do. This is a way of saying thank you to the creator of the world. It's called Bikurim, means first fruits. At the end of the parasha that describes the whole procedure and all the laws, if you look, I have it bolded. The pasuk says, "Vesamahta bechol hatov." Hashem says that this mitzvah of bikurim is going to bring you simha. It's going to bring you a certain amount of happiness. Happiness with what? What are you going to get? So it says, you're going to get kol hatov. You're going to get something good. Now, usually when the word good comes, it usually comes to explain something. For example, I got a good car. I bought a good house. I met a good person. Just to say you're going to be happy with good, it doesn't tell us what the good is. So it's vague. When Hashem used the word tov in the seven days of creation, so He created something and He said, and it was good. So when you describe something and you say it's good, we get it. But when you say like, you're going to be happy with all the good without telling us good in what? What kind of good? Good in... In health, good in wealth, good in, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have children. In what way is it good? Does not say. Comes the Midrash, and this is based on what we spoke about last time. Comes the Midrash and says, number two, When it says tov and it doesn't say what that is, so then it only could mean the top good. It could only mean something that is most good. That when you say good, it means that. What is that? The end tov ela Torah. As we learned last week, I don't know if you remember, but we spoke about acquiring things, how we spend our life acquiring. That is what we do on this planet. And we explained last week that the most precious acquisition in life is wisdom. With wisdom, you have the solutions to everything. Without wisdom, you're lost even if you have everything. Wisdom can take someone who has nothing and make them very, very wealthy and sameach. A lack of wisdom can take someone who has everything, but somehow their everything messes everything up. So therefore, the greatest acquisition in life, so when the pasuk says, kol hatov, and doesn't say what that tov is, 
So it has to be something that is the most of. What is the most of that doesn't even have to be described? And tov ela Torah. So that's a rule, by the way. It's a rule in the Torah that when you have a word tov without describing something, automatically it describes wisdom. It describes Torah. Like the Pasuk says, by Shlomo HaMelech, Ki lekah tov natati lachem. Hashem says to us, I gave you a very good deal. Lekah tov. When you buy something and they say, wow, that was a good deal. Lekah tov means the best deal. Torati al ta'azov. Beautiful. Now, the Midrash doesn't stop there. After the Midrash describes what the word tov is, Hashem says, oh, you brought bikurim, you brought the first fruits, great. As a result, you're going to have simha with kol hatov, through your wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom. Lefichach, says the Midrash, therefore, Moshe mazhir, Moshe Rabbeinu warned us. He said to us, Aser te'aser. Anyone know what that pasuk is talking about? Aser te'aser? Ma'aser. Simply, it means give 10%. That's what it means today. Give 10% of your earnings. Hashem gives you money. So share it. Give 10%. Aser te'aser. Let's review. Says the Midrash. Once Hashem promises that for Bikurim, you're going to have Simha that comes from wisdom. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu warns us. Make sure you give Maaser. Make sure you give charity. Make sure you help people. Make sure you go out of your way to go beyond yourself for others. What's the connection? Why does the Midrash say you're going to have happiness with wisdom? So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu keeps warning you, hey, keep giving money, keep giving your talents, your efforts. What does one have to do with the other? I hope you understand the question. For now, I'm going to shelve that question. Number four, there's a very famous Mishnah. Mishnah Perkei Avot. I'm going to explain it outside. The Mishnah says that when we come to do mitzvot, we all do mitzvot. Everybody here does mitzvot. We're doing a mitzvah right now. We learn Torah. We raise our children. We keep Shabbat. We give charity. We pray. We do all kinds of mitzvot. Says the Mishnah, when you do mitzvot, there is a certain attitude that is great and there's a certain attitude that is terrible. Or, let's not leave it terrible, not so great. The attitude that is great is when you come to do a mitzvah, you don't do it because you're looking for a reward. Don't be like the servant who serves their master for a reward. When you do a mitzvah, don't do it for a reward. 
you will get a reward, but don't do it for that reason. An attitude of mitzvot is, so why am I doing it then? I'm doing it because Hashem told me. Now to some people that sounds weird. Like why would I do it then if I don't get a reward? And maybe this Mishnah may be like a big Hidush. Like wow, really? I can't believe it. You shouldn't do mitzvot for a reward? But in reality, if we stepped out for a moment and thought, this Mishnah is so obvious. It may be so obvious that it didn't need to be written. Let me give you a mashal, and I think you'll appreciate it. I once gave this mashal. Imagine a person who is 50 years old, 60 years old, and his mother calls him on a cold day. His 80-year-old mother says, could you please come over? I have an appointment. I got to go to the doctor. Yes, mom, what do you need from me? I'm stuck in the snow. It's two feet of snow in my house. I need you to come dig it out. Could you come? He says, of course. Mom, I'll be right over. I'm on my way. But wait, hold on. How much are you going to pay me? Now, what would you say to this 60-year-old young little man? What would you say to him? What would you call him? I would call him. You're like, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, you're a very low person. What kind, what, what kind of question is that? You're asking your mother how much she's going to pay you? I think every one of us would look at that person and say, Ya Haram, I cannot believe what the guy says. Now, why are you so disturbed by that person? Let's just make sure we understand why. Everybody would have the same attitude towards that guy. Why is it that you're looking at that person in such a low way? You can't believe what the guy just said. So I'm going to say it's obvious, nothing, no hidushim. Because this person is equating himself with his mother. As if they're on same level, everything is paid up. It's as if he already paid up for all the food that she's cooked for him in the last 60 years. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, he already paid for that. He already paid up for all the doctor's visits that she had to wait hours for to take care of him. He already paid up for the years of tuition that they paid for him. He's all paid up for the hospitality that they were in the house, in the house for 20 years with him. And much more, all the clothing he's already paid up, all the sleepless nights that they were waiting up for him, all the advice, all the things. He's already paid up. He's asking, so what will you give me now? And we look at the guy and say, hello, you know how much you owe? You know how much you owe your parents? You're asking for more? You have so many bills that are outstanding. When you have outstanding bills, the size of a, of a skyscraper, and then you do something very little for your mother, and you ask, so what are you going to give me? That's called low. There's no, how much more so, you tell me, when it comes to the creator of the world? The creator world says, I want you to do this. I want you to keep Shabbat. I want you to pray. I want you to help your friend. I want you to stand up for your father. I want you to honor your mother. And you say, well, what, what am I getting? What am I getting? 
you're paid up already for everything I gave you? You paid up for the life that I gave you? Every day you're breathing, you're paid up for all that? You're paid up for your parents that I put you in their home? You're paid up for all the body parts that are working? You're paid up for everything that you've been getting for the last 60 years? Now you're asking me, what am I going to give you? That is not a proper attitude. It's a low attitude towards anybody who we owe so much to. You will get a reward, but that's not why you do it. When you do it for a reward, it shows that there's something missing in your understanding of yourself, in appreciation. There's something off, something not right. Says the Mishnah, therefore, the proper attitude when you do something good in this world is you do it because the Creator asked you. That's it. You don't have to ask any more questions. You want to understand why He wants you to do it? Come to a class, try to learn it, try to understand it. But definitely don't ask or don't do it for a reward. We very often do that. We very often do things and we are thinking of the reward and that is basically why we're doing it. It's a mistake. That's the Mishnah Perkei Avot in number four. But I want you to pay attention to the last four words in that Mishnah. After this Mishnah teaches us this very important principle that basically guides us through everything in life, how often is this Mishnah relevant? It's, oh, it's every minute. Comes the Mishnah and ends off with the following four words. And you should have fear or awe of heaven. You should have fear of Hashem. You should be in awe of God. Now, by the way, being in awe of God is a mitzvah in the Torah. Being in awe of a God is a mitzvah in the Torah. What does that have to do with this Mishnah? I just told you, you owe appreciation. You owe the Creator. So if He tells you to do something, just do it. And then it says, by the way, you should also fear God. What is the connection? That's question number two. Question number three is based on a Gemara in Masechet Berachot. There is a Gemara, you see the number five, it talks about a great man by the name of Rabbi Zerah. Rabbi Zerah is all over the Talmud. You can't miss him. He's all over the place. Says the Gemara that one time Rabbi Zerah was sitting, learning with his Havruta, or he was in his Shi'ur. He was learning Torah, and he just wasn't getting it. You know, sometimes you go to a class and you just don't get it. Sometimes you're learning and you don't get it. He's struggling, he's not getting it. So what does he do? Says the Gemara, he decides, he says, let me go, that's what he tells us, let me go to the doorway where people are coming in and out. I'll sit there, and when a Talmid Hacham or an older person walks by, I'm going to stand up for him. And this way, I will get reward. That's what he says. Look at the last line, Amar ki halfera banan, when Talmideh Hachamim walk in, as I will stand up agra, so that I will get a reward. Rabbi Zerah, what are you talking about? 
You're the role model of our people. The fact that Rabbi Zerah didn't want to waste his time and therefore found something good to do with his time, that's a great role model. Don't find yourself in life doing nothing. Sometimes you have to relax. That's in order to do something. But just to do nothing, like the word in this country, the greatest thing that people can do in this country is chill. They just chill. That's it. Chilling is not a very productive time in your life. Be productive. Do something. So Rabbi Zerah says, you know something? I'm not learning. I'm trying. It's not going. So let me go do something. Let me go do a mitzvah. One of the mitzvot in the Torah. Look at number six. That's what he was looking to do. By the way, we should really focus on this mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that's not practiced as much as it should be. And it's so easy. And as we'll soon see, it's so fruitful. Pasuk says, You see an older person, older man, older lady. You stand up for them. Even if they're simple people. Even if they're not the biggest tzaddikim or tzaddikot in the world. You stand up. You don't have to stay standing for a long time. But you stand up. You show them respect. And give respect to the zaken. Zaken is referring to someone who has wisdom. Someone who is zaken us. So two types of people you need to show respect to in life. Standing up is one of those ways. It's somebody who's older in years and somebody who's older in wisdom. Both of those people represent wisdom. The person who has wisdom obviously represents wisdom. You're not standing for him. You're standing or her. You're standing for the Torah. And when someone is older, also they have wisdom. They may not have learned, but they have life wisdom. So stand up. Respect people who have wisdom. So the fact that Rabbi Zerah wanted to accomplish something and not waste his time, let me at least go stand up for people. That's a beautiful example for all of us to follow. And we're happy he told us about it. He's the one saying the story. Or the Gemara is saying what he said. But the fact, the word that he adds, let me go stand up so I can get reward? Hey, did you not learn the Mishnah Perkei Avot? You Rabbi Zerah, you went to do a mitzvah because you want a reward? Isn't that not so nice? Isn't that not proper? And not only is he doing that, he's telling us about it as if it's a great Example that he's giving us. What are you doing, Rabbi Zerah? Why are you saying, let me do this so I can get a reward? That's the third question. So I don't know if you forgot the first two, but let me just review. Let me just review. The Midrash connects and says, how do you get the simha b'chol atov? How do you get the happiness of Torah? You know how of wisdom? You know how you do it? Aser te aser. Give ma'aser. Give tzedakah. Then we, so we ask, what's the connection? 
Then we saw the Mishnah Perkei Avot, that after it tells us to do mitzvot, not for the reward, it says you should have fear of heaven on you. You should be a person who is in awe of the Creator. And now, we say, what's the connection between awe of the Creator and doing mitzvot for the right reason? And number five, we just saw in number five, why Rabbi Zerah did this mitzvah for a reward. Now we're moving on to the answers. Number six, we read together this mitzvah that we must give respect to elders and Talmidei Hachamim. But notice how the pasuk ends. After it tells us, After it tells us to respect these people, pasuk ends, And you should have fear of heaven. You should have fear of God. It's another question. What does fear of God have to do with this now? Why are we... There's another pasuk in the Torah, by the way, that tells us you should fear God. What does that have to do with this pasuk? First of all, I'd like to tell you what fear of God means because I think people don't really understand what it is. When you say the word fear of God, right away I noticed a few faces were like, what is that? Fear of God. We don't like to fear anything. We look at fear as like this negative, horrible way of life. You say fear of God, it almost feels like you're being put under a very harsh rule over you. You have to be afraid, like you're afraid of, God forbid, bad people. Let me tell you what it means to have yirat shamayim. It's good for once to have it clear. What does it mean, yirat shamayim? Yirat shamayim doesn't really mean fear of God. Yirat shamayim means that you live with God. The word yirat means lirot. Lirot means to see. And if you ask me, why do I need yirat shamayim? Why do I need to live with Hashem? Like, what does it do for me? I have enough friends. I have enough havrutot. Like, what, what does living with the creator of the world do for me? What does it mean? So it means things like this. If you live with the creator of the world, which, by the way, is not an easy thing to do, you know, most mitzvot, all it requires from us is to commit to do it. That's all it is. Just commit to keep Shabbat. You keep Shabbat. You commit to eat kosher. You eat kosher. You commit to learn. You learn. You commit to pray. You pray. It's just a matter of getting yourself up and doing it. But there are certain mitzvot that are not like that. For example, getting married is not like that. Okay, I'm ready to get married. Okay, so, but it doesn't mean you're getting married. Because marriage requires steps. It requires a relationship. It's not so simple. You don't just, you don't just dive in and say, I'm married. It's not like eating matzah and pesah. It's not like that. There are things you have to do beforehand. 
One of those mitzvot is called Yirat Shamayim. If you walk out of this room today, and hopefully you'll be convinced, because I'm going to explain to you what it is. If you walk out of this room today and you say, okay, you know what? I'm into this Yirat Shamayim. I love it. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm buying in. I'm in. I'm taking it upon myself. I want to be Yirat Shamayim. Guess what you're going to be when you walk out? The same as when you walked in. Because it's not that kind of mitzvah. You can't just declare, I now am going to have Yirat Shamayim. It's not that kind. Yirat Shamayim is something that needs a relationship. And relationships don't happen with declarations. You can't have a relationship with somebody because you declared that you are now connected to them. It doesn't work like that. Yirat Shamayim is a product of lir'ot. It's a product of living with somebody. If you live with the creator of the world with you, that means you see him. So what comes out of that? Well, so what do I gain? So I'll have Yirat Shamayim. What's the difference between the before and the after? You know how they have pictures? Here is the way they looked before and after the pill or the diet. This is the way they look. There's a before and after. So without trying to be too dramatic, what does the before and after look like? Before Yirat Shamayim life, after Yirat Shamayim life. What is the difference? So there are thousands of differences. I just put down a few that are obvious, and from there we can go into many, many more. Number one, not in any particular order. Number one, there's no fear. If you live with the creator of the world, be'emet, not fake, real. If you really live with the creator of the world, you're never afraid, ever, ever. How could you be afraid if you live with the creator of the world? You know, there are people, even amongst us, that have these connections with the government. They have a connection with the president. They have a connection with the vice president. They have a connection. And they feel so secure because they have the phone number or they once met them somewhere because when you are around something powerful, it makes you feel secure. Now, of course, not sure how much really that phone number is going to help them. I'm not that sure that person will actually come through for them. But if the creator of the world is in your life, you are never afraid, ever. Fear is a sign that you are lacking a relationship with the creator of the world. It's a lot more on that topic, but just in short, no fear. The only fear you'll have, by the way, there's only one fear you have when you have that relationship, it's the fear of losing the relationship. That's the only fear you have. No worries. Imagine how much weight comes off your head. How many things you worry about all day long. No worries. If you live with the creator of the world, now each one we can give a class on and we could talk about it and describe it in detail. We don't have time for that today. I'm just giving you a basic rundown. This is not something like in Shamaim. 
This is something that people live with every single day of their lives, from morning till night. No wor- By the way, including sleep. When you sleep with no worries, you sleep with no worries. When you go to sleep without worries, your sleep itself is a better sleep. You don't have nightmares as much. You don't have these bad dreams. You sleep good. You don't have worries. No anxiety. Yeah, we were, we're repairing all of society. <laughs> Peace of mind. It comes with no fear, no worries, no anxiety. Peace of mind. No jealousy. You know how much jealousy plays a role in our lives? You know how much pain we suffer from because of jealousy? We may not believe it. We may not realize it. We may think, no, jealousy? I'm not, I'm not jealous. What are you talking about? I mean, sometimes I'm in pain, but I'm not jealous, ever. It's not true. And let me explain to you. I'll give you a little mashal, and from there you go on your own. Most pain in life, most pain, remember what I'm telling you now? Most pain in life comes from jealousy. Now, you'll tell me now, what are you talking about? Let, let, me, let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example that's not so pleasant. And you'll forgive me, but I'm choosing one specifically because it's not pleasant. I'm choosing an obvious pain. You have a couple that's married for two, three years, four years, and don't have children. That is a very extremely painful situation. Extremely painful. I don't know if there's a pain like that in the world. It's extremely painful. And if you asked the couple... Are you in pain? Of course, they would say yes. And if you ask them, why are you in pain? They're in pain because they don't have a child. But let's stop for a moment. Let's imagine everybody who gets married doesn't have a child for four years, five years, just like them. Would they feel the pain? But you don't have a child now either. How come you don't feel the pain? I thought you want a child. Because really, really, the source of the pain is not so much that you don't have a child. Of course, you want one. And that maybe is a little painful. But the bigger pain is, but everybody else has a child. Everyone has a child. You walk in the streets, they all have strollers. You go to the park, there's children. Everyone's got a child. When everyone's got a child, it makes the pain unbearable. And it is that way with all pain. There may be a little pain in all the pains of life, but what makes it a very big pain is something called jealousy. Everybody else has that. Everyone else is getting married. Everyone else has a normal child. Everyone else has that. The pain of life comes mostly from jealousy. When you live with the creator of the world, there's no jealousy. And therefore, there's very little pain. There's no peer pressure. How could you have peer pressure? How could you have pressure from other people when you live with the creator of the world? You know how many people people do things in their life to hurt themselves, 
to shoot themselves and their families in the foot because of peer pressure? You know how many bad decisions are being made right now as we speak? With children in this community, teenagers in this community? Bad decisions are being made for one reason only. Not because they don't know better, not because they weren't taught at home, not because they... Peer pressure. Peer pressure is one of the biggest causes of alcoholism, of gambling, of all the addicts. It's peer pressure. When people are doing something, whatever they're doing, it becomes very difficult to do and live your own life, to do your own thing. When you don't do your own thing, you don't live your own life, you're going to end up in a bad place. So who do you blame for that? Peer pressure. It's very hard for us. Well, if you live with the creator of the world, you become an independent person. You have no peer pressure. You love people. You love being around people. You socialize with people. But there's no peer pressure. I live with the creator of the world. I don't need you as my advisor. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters only so long as it could help me. But more than that, I have someone that's with me. No peer pressure. You're never alone. A person who lives with the creator of the world is never alone. Not just physically, but even figuratively. There are many people who have a lot of friends. A lot. Thousands of them. All of them. They have a thousand chats that they're on. But they're alone. They're alone. In fact, something interesting that according to figures that studies, I don't know how they base these studies, but supposedly that today there's more loneliness in the world than ever in the history of at least these studies. How could that be? Today when you have communication, phones, emails, social networks, people are all over the place, they're so connected. In this world today, there's loneliness. You would think that's one thing that's not out there. More loneliness. And for a very simple reason. Because you may have a lot of people that you're connected to, but you really have no friends. It's just a lot of non-real friends in your life. And at the end of the day, you have no one person really to turn to. But if you have a relationship with the creator of the world, you're never alone. You can never be alone. There's no anger when you live with the creator of the world. That's not just a dream. That's a reality. No anger. You believe in yourself when you live with the creator of the world. You become confident. You know, they have all these people that speak some like very strong words even out there in the world. Believe in yourself. You could do anything you want. You've heard it. People pay a lot of money to go on seminars and to get speakers. And they make you, they mesmerize you. You could do it. You could do it. You could do anything you want if you just put your heart to it. If you put your mind to it. They tell you stories. They share with you images. And they give you. And you walk out of it. And you're flying. You're flying. You say, oh, wow, really? I could do anything I want. And it doesn't take a half hour 
for you to realize that you're the same div that you were before, before you walked in. It's just a great high. You feel great, but it's not real. It doesn't stay. At a, you know why it doesn't stay? Because it's sheker. Because it's not true. It's not true. You cannot do whatever you want. Let's say I really want to carry this building. I mean, it's not a very big building. Maybe we need a little expansion to this building. Imagine I really, really believed I can carry this building. They gave me some sort of pill. I went to a great doctor somewhere in the neighborhood. And he, he gave me this unbelievable pill that actually makes you believe you can carry a building. You can't carry the building. Ah, but you believe it. doesn't matter. That whole, it's all nonsense. That you, if you believe it, you can do it. It's not true. It's sheker. Sheker has no legs. It could stand for 30 minutes, maybe for 30 hours. But at some point you realize it's not true. But isn't there an important life feeling that each person should have to believe in themselves? Of course there is. So how do you believe in yourself? It's very simple. I don't believe in myself. Who am I to believe in myself? Believing in yourself means as follows. If you live with the creator of the world, so that means the situation that you're in right now, he's with you. So he put you there. If he put you there, so he believes that you can successfully do this. And since he believes in you, so you believe in yourself. Believing in yourself means that no matter what the situation is in life, no matter where you are, and no matter how difficult it might be, no matter the situation, the good, the great, the terrible, no matter the situation, doesn't mean you enjoy that moment, but it means you look in yourself and you realize that it must be that I can do this successfully. How do I know that? Not because of myself. I don't believe in myself. That's ridiculous. Because the Creator who is with me believes in me. If He believes in me, He knows me better than I know me. If He believes in me, I have the strength. I know I could do this. And that's why you'll find great people in some of the most difficult situations. Situations that you would say is impossible. How? How could they even live like that? Not only, they didn't just live. They lived and they produced and they became something so great and not despite their problem, because of their problem. And you say, wow, how do they do that? I don't understand. People like that are supposed to be in bed all day. And, people, and that guy is doing what? That lady is doing what? But they have no money. People like that, what, what could they do? But how did they accomplish all that? You will find some of the greatest people in the history of this world had very big challenges. But they believed that they can be successful. Not despite, maybe because of. But how do you get that strength? Well, that's what you get when you live with the creator of the world. See, if you live by yourself and all of a sudden 
a, head, a rock hits you over the head, you don't know what to do with it. But if you live with the creator of the world, you realize the rock didn't just fall on your head. It was put on your head. And there's a good reason for it. And you find the strength to figure it out. Living with the Creator means living a life of appreciation and pleasure. You see, most people when they eat in the world, they take a piece of bread and they put it in their mouth. The most they can enjoy is the bread. But a person who lives with the Creator, when they eat a piece of bread, they're eating and enjoying something even greater than bread. They're enjoying love. Let me give you an example if you don't understand what I just meant. Somebody buys you a beautiful gift. It's a surprise. You weren't expecting it. You don't even know where it came from. You open the box and you see it. It's such a beautiful gift. And just enjoying how now you have that watch or that ring or that necklace, you enjoy, you're loving it. And all of a sudden, the person shows their face who bought it for you. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a father. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe a daughter-in-law or son-in-law. Or maybe it was a student, or maybe just a good friend. And as they watch you open it, you look at their eyes and you see the happiness, the glow in their eyes as they see you opening the gift and enjoying it. That's not just enjoying a gift. That's enjoying an, a love that's coming, that's emanating it's not like buying a chocolate bar from a vending machine. You know, when you buy a chocolate bar from a vending machine, you enjoy the chocolate. But when someone works very hard, like your mother or like your wife or like somebody who cares for you and works very hard to make you the perfect chocolate that you like and they serve it to you, you're not just enjoying chocolate. You're enjoying a relationship. You're enjoying a pleasure of giving and taking from someone that loves you and that you love. So when you live your life with the Creator, you don't just enjoy the world physically. You enjoy it physically, but it's so much more. It's eating and drinking, but like from a whole different world. You know how some people, they enjoy their mother's food? I mean, everyone does. It's the best food. My mother's the best. No one's like my mother. Everyone thinks their mother, there's no one like their mother. <laughs> and the answer is there's really no one like their mother. Because the love she puts in that food, nobody can replace. And you taste it. It's not just the food. It's everything else that goes in it. Living with the creator of the world takes all of life's pleasures and just gives them this huge upgrade. Instead of living and enjoying something on a very low level, all of a sudden, you're enjoying it on a much higher level. You get that when you live with the creator of the world. You feel loved when you live with the creator of the world. 
It's one of the most important human needs to feel loved. We all want to feel loved. That's why we do so much to get people to love us. Notice me, please. Could you notice me? Could you love me? Could you tell me I'm special? You know what we do to get people to love us? We'll do anything. We'll spend all kinds of money. We'll take all kinds of... You know, you, ever, you should open up one day the Guinness Book of World Records. You ever see that book? You should open it up. It's such a, it's such a musar. You never have to come to this class again. <laughs> you open it up and it's the most amazing things. The guys who jumped off Niagara Falls and died, of course. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? People do that. And then you see people doing the most ridiculous things. They're, 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 they're walking on their knees for 38 miles. The world record. The person who chewed the most bubble gums in one day. The guy who ate the most cheeseburgers. He ate 26,000 cheeseburgers every day. Yeah, this is a real record, by the way. I mean, you could break it if you want. Like, what are you doing? The longest nails, the longest hair. The lo like, I mean, we see that and we're like, wow, why are they doing that? But let me tell you why they're doing that. You know, in a, in, a, in a sort of way, you do the same thing. But maybe you just do it in other ways. You have a different system, but the same system. System is you need to be loved. You need to be noticed. And to be noticed and loved, you'll do just about anything. But guess what? If you live with the creator of the world... Your desire for love is being fulfilled all the time. And you get your dosage of love from a real source. And you could go on to your life making good decisions for yourself, making smart decisions. You could love, by the way, people who are loved know how to love too. People who feel Hashem's love know how to love others as well. That's why it says, perhaps, Ve'ahavta l're'acha kamocha. Love people. Ani Hashem. That's how the Pasuk ends. I am Hashem. And the commentaries ask, what does it mean, Ani Hashem? I am Hashem. What does that have to do with anything? Perhaps it means, Ani Hashem, I love you. And if you feel my love, you will easily be able to love others. People who are loved know how to love. It's one of the principles in life. If you live with the Creator, you feel loved all the time. You become a giver when you live with the Creator. Because if you live with the Creator, all you see is Him giving you. It's all you see. All day long, He woke you up. He gave you everything that you need. All day long, you're with someone who all day is giving, giving, giving. You know what happens when you're with someone who gives all day long? You start to give. Those are some of the advantages. There's many more. Some of the examples of what it is to live with the Creator of the world. Yirat Shamayim doesn't mean you're trembling. Yirat Shamayim means you're aware of the Creator that's with you always. Now, how do you know if you really have Yirat Shamayim? If you have fear of messing up. For example, I walk into a classroom of teenage boys... I say teenage only out of respect to you. But let's say it was teenage boys. And if you would look in the window before I come to the classroom, you'll see them doing some like interesting things. <laughs> but you walk into the classroom and everyone's sitting down. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? It's good to see you. 
very respectful, very nice, very beautiful. Why? Because when you have respect for someone, so you have a fear of messing that up or messing your relationship. How do I know on you that you live with the creator of the world? If you have a certain fear before you act, it's because you realize someone's there with you. If you just do whatever you want, that means you don't realize someone's there. You think someone is absent from the classroom. And therefore, you say whatever you want, you do whatever you want. When a person f lives with a certain yir'ah, a certain fear, it shows that they have someone who's there with them. And they're careful, therefore, how they act. They're careful how they talk. They're careful how they walk. Everything, they have a, more of an awareness. That's called yirat shamayim. Let's put this all together. The Zohar says, at least the way the Bnei Yisachar explains it, the Zohar says, you know why the Pasuk ends? Stand up for an elder. Give respect to a scholar. You know why the Pasuk ends, Ve'yareta me'elohecha, and then you should fear God? Says the Zohar, that's not a commandment. That's the reward. When you stand up for elders, and take that on as a life mission, it's worthwhile. When you give respect to Talmideh HaChamim, however which way you can do that. When we do that, Hashem says, I am going to reward you. Because if you walk out of this class and say, okay, you know what, this Yirat Shemayim business, I didn't know what it was before, but it sounds awesome. By the way, I only told you a little of it. It's actually more than that. It sounds awesome. I'm in. But it's not that kind of thing. Y you need to do things. Says the creator of the world, if you respect elders and you respect scholars, you will fear God. Hashem says, I will give you reward. You will have the ability to live with the creator of the world. And the logic, by the way, is simple. The logic is when you stand up for an older person, you're not standing up for their age. You're standing up for their wisdom. When you stand up for a scholar, you're standing up for wisdom, the wisdom of the creator. When you stand up for your parents and you respect your parents and your grandparents, you're standing up for wisdom. Hashem says, when you give respect to my wisdom, then you will start to be connected to me. You'll start being able to put Hashem in your life. Things that you will struggle to do on your own. But if you do that, it's like a step, it's like a ladder. You start putting on the rung, you start being careful with respecting the people around you that deserve that respect. You're climbing the ladder and you're getting closer to having that beautiful relationship with the creator of the world. And guess what happens? Guess what happens when you have Yirat Shamayim? I'm going to give you a beautiful source, our last source for today. And then we're going to tie it all together.
the ending will be greater than the beginning. I'm not saying the beginning was bad. <laughs> but the ending will be really powerful. That's the way of wisdom, by the way. The way of wisdom is, you got to go, go and understand and dig and work and struggle and say, I don't get that. What does that mean? And all of a sudden, the light comes and it's like, whoa. What happens to a person who has yirat shamayim? What's the result of that? Besides all the things I mentioned to you, what is the greatest gift of yirat shamayim? The greatest. I just gave you a lot of great ones. But what's the greatest? Wisdom. Ah, wisdom. How do I know that? Every woman would love to see the source. Are you ready? Number seven. It talks about when Parah gave a commandment to the midwives in Egypt to make sure they don't let alive any baby. That's what Melech Mitzrayim told them. Look at this. I highlighted it for you in number seven. What was the reaction? Now we know their reaction was they saved the children. They did a great kindness with these kids. They saved their lives. But that's not what the Torah says. Don't make that mistake again. It's not what the Torah says. Look at the Pasuk says. Vatirena ham yaledot et Elohim. These midwives, they had a fear of Hashem. Velo asu, and they didn't do what the king told them. And they made sure they stayed alive. Which means that you could save people's lives because you feel it's important. Or you feel it's a nice thing to do. Or it's the right thing to do. But that's not what was special about these women. The Pasuk highlights that their motivation was that they were God-fearing people. And because of that, they weren't afraid of Par'ol. And they did the right thing. And they saved these children's lives. These are our mothers. This is our great-great-great-mothers. As far as we know, they're Miriam and Yocheved, the mother of Moshe. Now notice, what did Hashem do for them? Look at the next pasuk, at least on the page. Vayetev Elohim lam yaledot. Get that word? Vayetev. Tov. Hashem gave them tov. Doesn't say what. Tov what? Tov houses, tov money, Tov what? Doesn't say. Remember our rule? When it says Tov, it means the highest Tov. Wisdom. And where do we see that? Look at the beautiful ending. When, when this woman, Yocheved, when she, Vatahar Ha'isha, she conceived, Vateled Ben, and she had a boy. We know who that boy is. Moshe Rabbeinu. Look how the Torah describes him. Vatere oto. And she saw him. Kitovhu. He was tov. Doesn't say tov what? Tov what? Nice hair. Nice body. Tall. Short. What, is it? what does that mean? Doesn't say. Tov. Guess who is the greatest man that ever lived? Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what happens? When you have Yir'at Shamaim, the greatest gift of all is what you get. It's called wisdom. It's called Torah. It's called Chokhmah. 
What a beautiful connection. Now we can answer our questions. The question of Rabbi Zera, let's start with that one. We said, Rabbi Zera, what are you doing? You're going to sit there by the door to get reward? I thought we're not supposed to do things for a reward. But remember the Mishnah we learned it from, Perkeavot? Remember how that Mishnah ended? The Mishnah said, don't do things for a reward. It says over there, Vihi mora shamayim. Fear of heaven should be alechem, on you. We said, why that ending? But, but what's the connection? Fear of heaven should be on you? Fear of heaven is not up to Hashem. Food is up to Him. Life is up to Him. Health is up to Him. Money is up to Him. Hashem runs the world. Chutz, but there are things that we have to do. Yirat Shamaim. Yirat Shamaim is our choice. We have to run after it. We can't wait for God to give it to us. We need to make the effort. Says the Mishnah Perkei Avot, you should never do things for a reward. Except, vihi mora shamayim. But if the reward of what you're doing is fear of heaven, alechem. That's on you. That's a reward you should be going after. That is a reward that we should all want. We should want to do mitzvot if they bring us the reward of Yirat Shamaim. That's within our part. Hashem gave that to us to run after. Which explains Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera, remember, why did he want to go to the doorway? What was he bothered with? He couldn't, he couldn't understand. He couldn't understand. He's learning. He doesn't understand anything. He goes to class. He can't understand what's going on. He's learning the habit. I don't get it. So he says, wait, why don't I get the Torah? How come I'm not getting the wisdom? Why am I not getting the Torah? Must be I'm missing Yirat Shamaim. Because if you have Yirat Shamaim, Hashem gives you wisdom. He says, I'm missing Yirat Shamaim. So what am I going to do? Why did he pick that mitzvah specifically? There's other mitzvot you could do. He says, let me go and stand up for Tamideh Hachamim. Because that will help me get to Yirat Shamaim. And then I'll be able to go back and get my chokhmah and get my wisdom. And that's something you should run after. Says Rabbi Zerah, I went for the reward. But what kind of reward? Not money reward. Reward of Yirat Shamaim. That's, that's for me. I ran after that reward. Now we understood the Mishneh um, Pakei Avot and we understood Masechet Berachot. And the first question we asked, Aser te'aser. Moshe Rabbeinu says, give ma'aser, give charity. And then what's going to happen to you? You're going to have wisdom. What's the connection? The connection is that when a person gives ma'aser, when they take their own money, they made that money. It belongs to them. They worked hard for it. And they're willing to give it up and sacrifice it for those who need it. They are clearly showing that Hashem is involved in giving them that money. It's not their money. It's not my money. 
Thank you for giving me and a little extra to give others. When I give charity, I am recognizing that Hashem gave me that money. I become aware. Instead of the money making me more arrogant and saying, oh, look how much I did, all of a sudden I say, well, thank you for giving me that money. You gave me a little extra? Let me go share it with your other children. Let me help people that need it. When a person gives money to people who need it, they also get Yirat Shamayim. And that Yirat Shamayim will lead them to the Tov, will lead them to Torah. So there are two avenues as we walk out of this room. There are two avenues that bring a person to this beautiful Yirat Shamayim. I mean, you have to want it. It's not going to happen by itself. You have to actually desire it and run for it. But you, two things will be a big help to you. Number one, respect elders. Respect your parents, your grandparents, any elder that you see, man, woman, talmideh, hachamim, whatever you can do to show them respect. That's one thing we could all do, be very careful and to do it the right way. And to give up of ourselves. To give up of what Hashem gave us. When we say, oh Hashem, you gave me that, let me see what I could do with it. Whether it's money or time or talent, whatever it is, that will earn a person yirat shamayim which will bring a person to wisdom, to Torah. My class is over, but I'd like to tell you one thing. As I'm learning this, and it's so beautiful. I mean, I hope you can have a chance to go over it. It's so beautiful. All the beautiful connections. And then I realized something. I realized that me and you in this room are the eyewitnesses of one of the greatest miracles, I believe, and I think you'll agree with me, in the history of the world. We, me and you, are eyewitnesses to this. Not Kiriat Yamsuf, where we have to rely on what our people all together saw, which is very reliable, but this one we saw ourselves, with our own eyes. So I grew up in this community, like most of you here, Let's go back 35 years. 35 years, not so long ago. Everybody here probably remembers 35 years ago. Not that long ago. 35 years ago, this community, if you went to a Bet Knesset at night, you will not find any person learning. No books were in shuls except Sidurim and some Tehillim. Maybe Hok Yaakov. Every shul after Arbit was dark unless they had a wedding. There was no Talmideh Hachamim. All my teachers in school were Ashkenazim because there were no Sfaradim. There were no, there were people here in Brooklyn from our community, B'nai Torah, Talmideh Hachamim. Someone you want to learn with your son, you could call, who? Who are you calling? There's nobody around. You got to go to the Ashkenaz community. Call, so, call somebody in, in, in who knows where, in Borough Park or in Crown Heights. There's nobody around. You're talking about people who didn't go to school themselves, to yeshiva, their children to go to yeshiva, not really educated. If I would give you that picture 35 years ago, and I would say, what is the chances that from these people, Mehalalei Shabbat, a lot of them, people who don't know even what Torah, forget they don't learn, they don't even know it's a value. What is the chances that from these people, you're going to get a generation of people 
who are learning Torah, they they, they tell me they hachamim, and what we see today in our community is an open miracle. You go to every shul at night, packed. People are learning, men, women, come to Shabbat. People on Shabbat used to escape before Musaf. They wanted to just get out quickly. They wanted to get home by 10 o'clock, 10, 15. People are in shul till 12.30. They want to learn. They want to understand. Every shul is full. It's unbelievable. What were the odds 35 years ago that from those people who knew barely anything, and it's not their fault, by the way, they're running from city to city. They're living in all kinds of places. One is living in Georgia. One is living in, in Louisiana, in Minnesota. They're living all over the place. They're just trying to get their feet on the ground. What are the odds that those people will produce this? I think people would say zero. And by the way, in case you're wondering, there are many communities just like that then and today are struggling just to keep their children Jewish, forget, forget learning. So what, how did it happen? How did it happen? I'm going to tell you, there are two things that our community has always excelled in. Two things. Notice. They excelled in respecting Talmideh Hachamim and respecting elders. It's one of our pride pieces in this community that we respect rabbis. We respect Talmideh Hachamim. We respect elders. No matter what we had, we had that. And charity. People didn't even know why they're giving charity. They had no idea where they were giving charity. They had no clue. Yeah, we have yeshiva in Israel. They know what yeshiva is. They're giving charity. Unbelievable. I once walked years ago, first time in my life, I went to Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak, one of the top yeshivas by the Ashkenazim. I walked into this big building, and I'm looking on the right, and I see this like plaque, and it's all like, it's hard to see what's in there. It's an old plaque. I'm looking, and the guy says, I said, what is that? It was a plaque given to Mr. I. Shalom, who gave money to the building of the yeshiva. What I. Shalom have to do with Panovich Yeshiva? But charity and respect were part of this community when we had very little in the way of Torah and wisdom. And guess what? We're seeing today. You have those two things. You have Yirat Shamayim. Yirat Shamayim will bring to Torah. I think all of us can put a little extra effort in these two areas to give of ourselves and to give more Respect to the people around us that deserve it. And Be'ezat Hashem, we'll see all the great Yeshuot v'nechamot. Amen v'amen. <laughs>